Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's original. This is a time where everybody can learn especially the non-Black, especially the non-Black community, learn more about our American history, learn more about our movement and our actions, learn more about the circles of friends that we keep. I mean, I've checked myself on a lot of things that I used to think was okay, and I'm like, wow, that does play into implicit biases. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Today, uh, we have a great episode with Jeannie Mai. We are talking all about... Lots of stuff happening currently. It's, um, it's a good conversation, and she is amazing. Have a listen. It's really difficult. It's a very infuriating time. It's a very, it, it's a hard time, but it's it's an important time. Yeah, I you actually know? saw this post that felt good. My friends and I circulated it through our group chats because I'm sure everybody's got group chats right now that are helping Mm -hmm. you cope. And it basically said, what if 2020 wasn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year that we've all been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. And that's pretty much what it's about. But I, I needed to flip the outlook of 2020 on its head and really take it as an opportunity because this is a time where everybody can learn, especially the non-Black, especially the non-Black community, learn more about our American history, learn more about our movement and our actions, learn more about the circles of friends that we keep, learn more about mm-hmm. our conversations and the casualness of it. I mean, I've checked myself on a lot of things that, that I used to think was okay. And I'm like, wow, that does play into implicit biases. And I've also learned that my God, I had the weirdest realization, Margaret. I, I, when I, when I look at what I know and understand about racism and slavery today, the actual mm-hmm. factoids that I know about slavery because of my friends and in the circle of black, black friends I have about, you know, 12 million um, uh, blacks, um, like learning that 12 million Africans were brought chained from Africa and actually how long the 244 years of that slavery went and and, until, Mm -hmm. you know, segregation that had to take place, like really breaking it down and learning how much it was the foundation of America being built on top of it the entire time. When I actually eBayed my history book, because I wanted to go back to this history book to be like, were you not paying attention during that time? Did you just miss a bunch of things? Because this is shocking to understand and realize now as an adult. Why wasn't I shocked as a kid? I got yeah. my actual textbook 
that I mm-hmm. had in sixth grade. And yeah. when I looked through the pages of like 325 pages of American history, starting from all of our presidents to the U.S. Constitution to pilgrims, pioneers, all that stuff. Yeah. Out of this entire book, mm-hmm. two columns, which was four paragraphs, were, were, yeah. were reserved for the story of slavery, for the, right. the truth about slavery. Four paragraphs right. in this entire thing. And then I looked at all my teachers and all of my teachers in Cherrywood Elementary were either white women, women or or white men and mm-hmm. then so forth in middle school as well. It wasn't until high school that I, I started seeing mixed race. So yeah. I just I just am now unpacking the fact that the agenda and the agenda and or just the perspective that I'm learning from was biased. Right. And it's up to me to now educate myself. I know this sounds so 101. I know everybody knows this out there. No, no. I'm just like, no, not everybody knows this. And, and then also, like, why would they tell us the truth? Why would they teach us the truth in school? They have nothing to gain by teaching any of us the truth about slavery in school. They have nothing to gain by teaching us. It doesn't make them look good. Let's real start there. History is. Yeah, they wouldn't, no, nothing is to be gained by telling us the real history of this country. Nothing is to gain by telling us what really happened with slavery, what really happened. We have to piece together what really happened. We don't really know. We only have bits and pieces of the narrative that like people have like held on to from family histories that were things they salvaged from trauma, from things that, you know, basically they had to sort of like kind of keep to themselves or hand down through whispered accounts. I mean, we have a bare sort of framework of what happened from accounts, but you know, it's like, it's, it's really criminal. The amount of information that we haven't even been able to like uncover the the real truth. I mean, that that's, that's part of the, the larceny of it all is the, the, the information has been stolen too. Right. So that's one part of my frustration. And then the drop kicking part that I said earlier when I came onto your podcast of why I wanted to drop kick some people is the, oh man, how do I say this? The realization of how at fault Asian Americans are at mm-hmm. being part of the problem. Yeah. And now I'm not, and, and don't come at me because I already know what a lot of people are saying because obviously I hope you understand that I'm not talking about everybody but I am talking about those that are complacent or silent or in denial about right. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I'm not okay if you're just silent because that yeah. is also part of the problem. Yeah. I hope you know by now that this is an issue. When it started out about police injustice versus George Floyd, it has now become us versus racists. And mm-hmm. it's not just saying, Oh, I'm cool with black people. I, I don't have a problem with them. No, it's about being anti-racist. So being active yeah. in making the change. And I am going to be the first to say that Asian Americans absolutely have racial prejudice inside of our communities. Absolutely yeah. have colorism inside of our own race, inside of our own yeah. households. And oh, yeah, so yeah. don't get me started about no, we don't see color or no Asian Americans mind themselves or, oh, this isn't our fight. This is, you know, their fight and they don't want to hear from us. And so that whole frustration has been really boiling in me and it's made me frustrated at myself. I'm calling out myself here because there has been many instances growing up where I I could have said something or, or should have said different. And then some of my 
teaching from, I don't know where it was from either, I don't know, from being Vietnamese to um, my grandmother maybe, or maybe just the way my, I see my role models or see some of my aunts and uncles are. It it was always been in my culture to keep the peace. Don't, don't be the one to start something. It it, it would always be like, which is like, don't, don't, don't ruffle feathers. Why are we just put your head down and just go to work? It's go to work, make money, take care of the family. It's so easy. Why would you need to cause a problem? So I've noticed now, Margaret, today I'm catching my sense of discomfort if I have to talk to somebody about this. And I actually just like kind of stop myself to be like, yo, why are you uncomfortable about talking about something that's right? What, why, where's this fear coming from? And then it, and then it ricocheted to moments in my career where I was the one that didn't want to cause issues in my own current work. Like, like if I saw fellow talent around me having issues about something, I'd be the one that's like, maybe I'm not going to, I'll just, I, I'll stay out of this one, you know? Yeah. Or if everybody's, um, if everybody's in disarray about something and it, and it made me have an anxious feeling about it, I'd be the one to be like, oh man, this stresses me out. So it's not good for me. So maybe I should just not deal with it. I'd have all these excuses. And so now I'm just, I'm frustrated at parts of my culture that are ignorant to this and want to continue that way. And then I'm also frustrated myself for having that embedded in me, that feeling of being okay to just stay quiet. Like that's an actual, you know how there's freeze there's fright, yeah. fight, flight, or freeze, or whatever the hell the psychologists right. say. I'm yeah. freeze. I'm dead ass right. freeze. I, I will not. I will not say anything. <laughs> I will just be like, and then I might see it later on in a car or a text. Why right. am I like that? You know what I mean? Well, it's preserve. It's so like it's self preservation. It's kind of like the way that we've been taught to preserve for so long. You know, but that's something. It's just like learn from our families because the generation before us were so interested in aspirational whiteness because that was their goal. You know, their uh, idea of success was whiteness, you know, and that they're living in black neighborhoods, which is where I'm from. That's where I grew up in black neighborhoods was this. Where did you grow up, Margaret? I grew up in San Francisco in um, the Tenderloin. (laughs) So it's like, Growing up in black neighborhoods, I know it's like this thing of like their idea was we're going to be white someday, <laughs> so we're no, we're not going to like be around this neighborhood very long, so we don't have to invest in our neighborhoods. We can just be white someday. So there's this idea that wow, we're going true. to be white, so we don't actually have to stay here and count this neighborhood as our neighborhood. But the thing is, is that, yes, this is our neighborhood. This is, this is our family, you know, that, and that I think is now Koreatown. If you look at Koreatown now, uh, this is why the LA riots happened in the nineties because of the Korean attitude of our parents, because they wouldn't, wouldn't lay down roots within the community. Now they do. And now you see these like Koreans now in Koreatown lay down their roots there. They're now they're a fully like integrated, really like blended neighborhood. And there's a lot of peace there. Because it's not the the generation before, which would would had that sort of aspirational whiteness in their mind, so they wouldn't feel like they could be comfortable or let their guard down. You know, mm. that was the problem. That was yeah. why uh, they, they, there was so much unrest and there was so much like just shittiness in in yeah. that time. So it's yeah. it's a weird uh, attitude. I, yeah, I, I and it's really know, I, I don't know why. It's really ironic too 
that um, you speaking out with the Korean community, having anti-blackness and the me with the Vietnamese community and I'm Vietnamese and Chinese, so pretty much both. But coming from the Bay, we had a super allyship between black and Asian in the Bay Area. Well, let's not forget about Yellow Peril and Malcolm X, Black Panthers. Yeah. Like there was yeah. a beautiful unity there. Yeah. And I believe that is why when you go to San Francisco today, Blasian sit like all over the place. There's just like so many beautiful families and kids that have come from Blasian relationships. Yeah. And black yeah. is mixed with a lot of race. I actually wasn't as informed about racism until I got out of the Bay Area. I got my share of Asian discrimina- discrimination but I actually honestly just thought that was just the name of the game. I never, and I think this is again, part of my passiveness when I was growing up, but I never thought like outright, like I never owned that American right of, of my rights. I've never owned that American right of having my voice. So when it would come at me or I'd be called different slander or people would spray paint my um, family's car or spit on us. It was just like, that's what happens when you immigrate over here. We have to take it because we kind of like, ask them politely, like, hey, do you mind if we kind of come in over here and bunk with you guys and stay a while mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. friends and babies and all of a sudden nail salons and like take over the land? Like, so you think that you have to bear whatever comes with that. And so part of that acceptance, so I didn't really mind or notice the Asian discrimination, but then I we also had a beautiful melting pot in the Bay Area. Yo, it was like Hispanics, yeah. Blacks, and Asians straight up. So when I yeah. moved to LA, that's when I noticed, oh, like the Bay is a unique place. Yeah. Well, I mean, San Francisco and Bay Area, there is a lot more integration, I think, because of there, there, there's a a more of a palpable sense of a civil rights movement, there's more of a progressive political environment. There's definitely like more of a history of a civil rights movement. There's also the gay pride sort of like history there. Um, So politically, there's always going to be more of a liberal bent to everything. And, and definitely more of like a Black Panthers thing. There's always going to be that side of it. Uh, I, I feel like that's the way it is there. In LA, LA, there's always been apartheid in LA. LA is segregated to its neighborhoods. It's racially segregated. It's always been that way. Um, we've always split up LA sort of zip code, color, class, and we kind of do it that way. We've done it that way for a long time. And... Um, and now uh, with the way that everything is, class is sort of shifting a lot. And, and so things are moving and, and changing. And, and now everybody has um, a way to document it. And so we're seeing the injustice in front of our faces. And we, sh- we have a way to put it on blast that we never had before. And so that's what's causing the change, fueling the change. We have a moment in our society where everybody's kind of put on pause so we can all watch it at the same time as wow. it plays out. So that's what's kind of causing the shift. And I think it's really important. And it's like, we're all kind of waking up to this moment and, and alarmed because we've been asleep for so long to it. And I, I feel like this is the opportunity to change. But you know, like you're saying, like 2020, it's like, maybe this is the best year of all because maybe this is what we needed. I think pain is often the only time for me that I change anything in my life, you know? So maybe it's the only thing that will motivate us to change as a society. So Margaret, when it comes to, because I want to have a real tangible conversation and maybe even a low-key script for people when it comes to confronting those family members that are 
turning the other cheek to this topic. How have you talked to family members that don't want to buy into, I hate to say it like this, but I'm quoting, buy into Black Lives Matter or the racism that exists out there? How how are you having these confronting conversations? Well, I think it's hard because it's like they have to really go into this idea of they they're kind of have to confront their own biases within themselves and kind of confront what it is that they're talking about. I mean, it's like they, uh, their own fears about themselves and their own um, prejudices, prejudices that they grew up with. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at Korean culture, Korean culture is so racist, even amongst other Koreans, like other, like classes, other, um, other people, even from Korea, like from different like backgrounds in Korea, like it's a weird culture, like that completely is all about judgment. And there's a lot of discrimination in Korea around um, all of the different kind of places that you're from. I mean, the whole even like the movie Parasite is sort of all about that, the different classes of people that you are. Mm, and so that yeah. judgment is like this thing of like you're pitting people against people that that's a it's a value system based on how much you make money wise like financial like like that your value is based on that so racism for koreans is just the natural extension of a value system that doesn't really exist it doesn't mean anything so it's a very like racism is easy for korean people to fall into and so then you you know in korean culture you see very very like People are very like nonchalant about uh, cultural appropriation. Um, you see quite a lot of that in you know different things in, in Korean Korean everything. So it's a very it's a hard conversation to have, especially in, within Korea about it. Uh, but here it's a, sort of like I think if you equate those conversations around um, what it, what does it feel like when you're discriminated against for being Korean, maybe that's the conversation. It's like, this is the same thing if you are being discriminated against as opposed to like that sort of uh, coming at them like they they don't understand. They just don't understand. They're just like so much of it is they're brought up to believe a certain thing. And it's it's so not that, it's so weird. Yeah, I found the need to actually hit this conversation head on on my page. So I've been really focusing on talking to my Asian American brothers and sisters out there who either feel they don't know what to do or have been silent and need to be called out or have already started taking the steps to talking to family members, friends, partners, but don't know the words to say. So I've found, and I put a, uh, I, I put an actual script on my highlights. So if you go to my Instagram, the genie Mai, you'll see um, an actual script that's translated in Vietnamese but it's also in English so that you can see the pattern of what to say in your, in your language. But basically, the series starts out as, hey, I want to talk to you about something that involves us and is important to me. And because you are part of my family or my circle of friends or whatever it is that that person is to you, I want to address this with you. And then it begins to go down a series of, number one, address exactly what it is and drop some statistics about the systemic racism, the police brutality, the criminal injustice, then touch on, I know that we have also been discriminated against too, but please recognize that to this day, black people are fighting for some of the privileges that we now have. And so they are taking a lot of that quote unquote beating and that pressure and that burden on their back and have helped us in many ways. 
And so it's time for us to also stand up for human rights. It's not just about a, a Black issue, but it's about rights. And we know, first and foremost, how that can be. And it also goes into being very clear about being selective and selfish when it comes to anti-racism. You can't say, oh, well, they treated us like shit because of COVID and they've always been this way to us. You, you, racism is racism and it's bad. And so we need to fight against that period and be allies with everybody who has gone, who has endured that. And so I really appreciate that because I think that, you know, I also posted on my gram a series of kids, Margaret, they were like, they look like teenagers, TikTok teenagers Mm -hmm. that were literally sitting there going at a feud with their parents while their parents were saying things like black people deserve this. They are lazy and that's Mm -hmm. why they're stuck in their circuit situations. This is their problem, not ours. Have you been to the ghetto? I've worked in the ghetto and this is what they're like. I mean, I'm, I'm literally repeating these things that these poor kids have had to mm. combat and fight with their parents, but they're not, yeah. but their, their emotion and their passion is there, but the words escape them on, escape them on how to talk to their parents to really get them yeah. to understand either it's logically, statistically, or empathetically why they need to care. And so yeah. I think it starts there. I think we, we need to, in our own dialects, have somebody because there's always that one and there's always that one a student that knows how to say shit real proper that even yeah. the grown-ups can you know appreciate because it ain't gonna be me man right. <laughs> and when and you know it's hard yeah, yeah. It's and hard. when you find that person build out the script so so that i have on my gram and i'll actually dm it to you uh, so that you have it and eddie eddie huang you know uh he mm-hmm. did one in chinese so it just helps oh, to great. have the words because after a while i looked at my mom and my mom didn't know how to speak to her I'm going to be honest, her husband about some of the things that he's struggling with. And I gave her the script. I was like, fly with this and just use it as bullet points. And then, yeah, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But some part of me thinks that they're just saying that because really everybody, everybody who is not white can really understand what systemic racism is. You know, like it's more that it, I think that everybody who's not white can really get and understand what systemic racism is. Everybody knows that. But the, the fact is, is that what it is, is that we have real trouble understanding that it's real and that it really affects us. That's yeah. the thing is that we have r- real problems coming to terms with the fact that it affects us daily on a daily basis. It affects us all on a daily basis and how it affects us. That's the problem that I have to come to terms with. Yeah, that's what everybody I think is in a different stage of dealing with and the heartbreak that comes with that, you know, and the anger that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's more um, my struggle. And I think it's more the struggle of everybody that I'm talking to and also like even our families and people who are just in the different stages of understanding their own, like it's not outward racism. It's more like 
the invisibility or the lack of even having black friends or having black people in your life, like having no sort of connection with black people in, in your life out of either fear or just put it, pulling yourself out of any kind of contact with black people. That's, that's more of an issue too. That's kind of like a thing that I see a lot in Asian American people that sort of thing of like, we're just not in this community because we have the sort of aspirational whiteness to like, to sort of like leave black communities and, and go into white communities is that sort of that white flight. That's always been that trajectory that Korean people have wanted, you know, that, that they would like go from Korea to black community to white community. That sort of that, that was the, the journey. That was the aspirational one. So that's what I see more of. Yeah. So the standard is hard. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I am surprised though that you find more people already read- readily understand systemic racism. That mm-hmm. that to me, uh, I'm definitely breaking it down from page one for a lot of people. And I'm not saying that you know that's not saying any- judging anybody's intelligence level. It's just like. It's just, it, it, it shows you how much you know of our government that pertains to you. You only think about what pertains to you. And so yeah. there's this really great little cartoon um, breakdown of systemic racism from act.tv that breaks down a little black boy who's friends with a little white boy who lives in two different neighborhoods and what happens as they kind of grow into systemic racism that followed them from their past ancestors, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and when I showed certain family members and friends that they were like, Oh shit, is that mm-hmm. wait. And right when you see it, it makes sense. Everybody yeah. has driven by the hood. Everybody knows the rich neighborhood versus the poor neighborhood. Everybody knows what communities actually are super strong in Korean businesses or Vietnamese businesses. We got a whole town in orange County. You guys got all of downtown mm-hmm. LA. Like you can see that but when's the last time you grew in like a, a really thriving, decadent black owned community with black strong businesses? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, you don't realize that though. You don't think about why that is. You just think, oh, this place was made for, for Koreans. So they kind of set up shop here or we, but, but then when I studied it and I understood, I realized that um, we definitely have a privilege of getting business licenses and lo- loans far quick, quicker than a black person or black family. Not right. only that, but even if we don't have the money, we have an inner kind of reservation of loaning money to each other. I can't tell you how many of my, yeah. my friends' businesses, my mom has, you know, a hundred over here, a thousand over here, or whatever it may be, that they all just have borrowed money from each other, but that's how they work as yeah. a community. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I think maybe we have made a bit more of a kind of an inkling of it just being in show business. When you look at being an Asian American woman in show business, you know, like the entry point for us, even as, as like performers and entertainers, but you know, the competition between us and like, white actresses and and white men and white you know white women and like kind of coming into this it's like it's impossible you can't you can't like like you can't sort of judge like how like the amount of jobs that are out there for like white people as opposed to asians it's like you, you there's no there's no competition it's like you can't judge like there's so many more opportunities for white people than there are for asian people and so it's like the same kind of thing of like okay 
there that there is no level playing field in that in that regard when it comes to race we can understand sort of systemic racism in that small way so in the very large sense of looking at america and looking at sort of black and white in that way that that you you can really kind of get to understand systemic racism when you look at the history of this country and what it was built on and slavery and then go back to where we need to start in ending police brutality and it's it's the fact that it's just like it's still going on and it's still going on in such brutal and very very heinous ways it's it it's so sickening to me but it's hopeful that we have such a huge swelling of people that are willing to march every day during a pandemic. My God, the first time in history that all 50 states, mm-hmm. not to mention overseas, like our friends in yeah. Berlin, Germany, Amsterdam, one of the most racist places on the freaking world. Oh my it's God, like, I know. My I God, that was insane. And so um, racist. It's incredible. Yeah, it's right, incredible. Paris, Paris. Yeah. I mean, it, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Great. I love the New Zealand, the, the Maori that did the haka. They did the the dance, the um, yeah. the tribal yeah, dance. Yeah, I saw that. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. Like it's like amazing solidarity from people. Yes. Like yeah. Syria. And the number one thing that I'm seeing more than anything else is that people have power. And this sounds major cliche to say. I remember from the 1980s on that we were always encouraged to vote because we have power. Our voice is power, and all that. But now I'm seeing it in more ways that actually make me think about that statement differently. And what I mean is by this, we used to look at police to be our end all be all of authority. They would save us. They would help us. They would protect us. And I'm not saying all police are bad, but I'm saying that is questionable now on whether or not you're one of the good cop or the bad cop. And as you've seen, I'm sure many cops have let out their microaggressions or their full-on aggressions, full-grown aggressions on not just Black people, but on people, as we're seeing during these riots, people being very mistreated and mishandled and in, in a very bad misconduct of ways of controlling the peace. Number two, we also don't have leadership. I mean, beyond just the riots and, and what the president is saying and initiating what I call, what I consider war, when he said looters, looting will get shootings or whatever he said in that. Yeah, that's crazy. But basically like, you really want to F with us? Go on, bring it. You're going to get a shot. Like who says that at a time when we need encouragement, we need some type of, we need some type of reminder that we were, we are all a unit and that you at the helm of it have got us. You got us. You you are working on the decisions to break up systemic racism. It wasn't any of that. So we have no leadership or questionable leadership. Our authority is now skewed. We're not really sure where police plays a role. And then yeah. look at news, Margaret. My news has been from social media, people's yeah. posts and reposts yeah. and messaging. Yeah. I'm not turning to CNN like I used to. And I'm not bashing news, but I'm just saying that equally powerful, impactful news is getting spread by the people from the Sean Kings yeah. and the, you know, um, to Baller Alert and even Shade Room. And, you know, and yeah, People Magazine is a little more quieter when it comes to injustice and things like that. So I'm just, you're seeing, this is, this is really a revealing year. It's really telling you where people's prospects stand and, and um, yeah, it's turning of the tides. And then you see tremendous, great individual people taking heed in their own way, whether it's DJ nice 
coming out with dope sessions and, and, and music that just helps us kind of unite and, and bond through the quarantine to Don Lemon speaking up for the people and really saying some things, yeah. and, you know, that we needed. Um, Charlemagne the God. Who would have thought Charlemagne yeah. from the <laughs> Breakfast Club is saying some shit so that great. I'm like, yo, like you're teaching me so much right now and I appreciate you. Yeah. Mayor Keisha Bottoms, like potentially being, you know, so great. the b- first black female pre- uh, vice president. Like it's really so cool. Great. So it's almost like yeah. shifting the tides to give everybody an equal chance to to step up and be the leaders that we need. Well, yeah, the lead, the real leaders are appearing, which I think is really it's really vital and it's really important. And it's, it's like, you know, they show themselves, which I think is like, I think that's, that's a sign of true leadership. And that's how we find, we find them, you know, not, you know, that's a really majestic way. Like then you, then you, you really learn to treasure those voices. Well, like Kaepernick, like it's like, okay, now we see, now right. we see the grace of a true leader of a Colin Kaepernick. Like it's like, Oh wow. You know? And that, I mean, the gesture was really meaningful when he did it in the first place. And the people that saw it understood it in the first place. You know, we all were like taken aback. I was so moved by that initially. So it was an incredible moment for all of us. And those who didn't like it, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how (laughs) could you not love what he did? Like the most respectful, beautiful gesture, take an E, that it's... It, that's powerful. You know, that's exactly it. But people fucking freak out. You know, people will fucking freak out when you make gestures around that. And it, But all it is is just a gesture. Well, guess what? That gesture being overlooked, instead of just taking heed and understanding and making some change then, led to why it took two months and a video going social for two regular dress dudes with rifles to like completely viciously murder a a man in broad daylight for two months. They were wandering free, having dinner at home with their families while this mom mourned and buried her son. Yeah. Later on, four cops wandering free until we caused this riot to lead to the arrest of George Floyd's murderer. And then just yesterday, these other three dudes, including Tutal, the Asian dude that sat by compliantly and watched. So you could have had taking of a knee with Colin and taking heed and, and, and addressing police injustice as a start to a couple of arrests. But no, mm-hmm. you had trillions of dollars now spent in burndowns of, of buildings and, and landmarks because the riots are the voices of the unheard, like Dr. Martin yeah. Luther King said. And that's your fault. That's our yeah. fault. That's our fault. Yeah. But it's important. It's really it's important. But it's it's inspiring that the leaders show themselves, and and that's what's great. And um, I, I I am excited about Keisha Bottoms, and excited about people that we're seeing, like yeah. that are are rising up, which I think is that is the one bright spot. And and I mean, I think that there is a lot of a lot to be excited about, and a lot to be you know mourned. But you know, I feel like this there there seems to be a shift, and. You know, it does seem like it's like 1968 happening again, but even bigger and even better. Maybe this really is the change that we needed. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it better be. It has to be. I mean, because it can't, it can't go back. It can't, I mean, uh, you know, it it, it just, how could we, how could it go back? We won't have much more of a country to burn people. Let's get started. 
Well, it, it just it's just like the, the, if we know this much as we do now, if we know as much as we do now, how is it possible that we could possibly turn back? You know, yeah. that if, and, and with, that when we learn more and more about our history and we learn more and more about what we're doing and what we're doing to each other and what we're doing to ourselves, like the, the fact is, is we, we need to know and, and we have to we, we just have to get Trump out of office. It just, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a whole nother <laughs> podcast, but the craziness of having to like tear gas people to a new stormtrooper to take a picture in front of a boarded up church to throw people out of the way <laughs> to a church. You've never attended. You've never worshiped at with no warning to the bishops, by the way, to not even give them a heads up to be like, Hey, I'm going to be using your facility is a backdrop. Medical aid. To- <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so you could hold the Bible that you've never touched under the weird little hands. It's so nuts. Yeah. It's just sickening. It's sickening. Yeah. But we're. It's all going to. Everything's going to change. Everything. Everything's going to change. <laughs> everything's. Gonna change. I, I hope so. I mean, it really takes. It, it's going to take us. I believe that it's going to take some. I think it's going to be influential people that are recognizable faces. We either listen to music with or, uh, or listened Mm -hmm. to their music or we followed their athletic career. It's going to be us. It's going to be some pop icons. I think that are going to step to the forefront that are going to have to, to lead our eyes to the right elected officials to make the difference. That's, that's what I think is going to be the next move. Uh, and then it's going to be breaking down all the areas of systemic racism with tangible solutions. Like Jay-Z taking him joining forces with a public official, you know, a, a, a mayor in order to address pu- prison reform is a start. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah the, the, these are starts. Yeah. And then um, and I want to make sure people can go to your um, Instagram so they can see what you wrote. So that, um, I, yeah, I please. Like, it's on my highlights. Yeah. It's a great script for English speaking and also Vietnamese speaking. And if you go to Eddie Huang's, you'll see a Chinese. But it, basically, my Instagram is at the genie my. So it's my first and last name, the. And actually, the amazing basic ass cartoon that illustrates so beautifully what systemic racism is is on my mom's page at the mama mai, M A M A M A I. And I, um, I enjoy people like you uh, using your platform in the right way, Margaret. I too have a podcast. It's called Listen Honey. And I also have a YouTube called Hello Honey. And all these places I talk about Asian American life and how to be more woke and more proactive about things that we should be doing and how to just be stronger after any podcast slash YouTube slash episode you listen to. How to just be more educated about it, about yourself. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we got to talk. We have to check in after all this is, uh, you know, not, not that anything's going to be over, but you know, just after some, some resolutions and see what happens. Absolutely. You stay safe, Margaret. You're always on my mind. I really appreciate you talking about this. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Tracy Levy and original music by Garrison Starr. 
Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Erios. Powered by ACAST.